So, but let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come into your presence clothed in the blood of Christ because we could not enter in any other way. Uh, we can only enter in by faith. We can't uh, think that we're good enough to enter your presence or know um, about you. We need you to reveal yourself to us. We need you to uh, pick us up from uh, the place we're in and, and raise us up so that we can hear and understand spiritual things because, Lord, we're just... We're in the flesh so often, and we want to walk in your spirit. And Lord, teach us to walk by uh, faith and walk in humility uh, in your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, people have bodies. Did you know that? Of course. You're like, that's dumb, Pastor. But we communicate to each other through our bodies. We, We use our vocal cords. And that produces words, and words have meaning, and, but we also communicate through our actions. And to really know someone means that you know what they're like on the inside. You know, uh, you, you, you can communicate with them, and their heart comes out, or, or we could call that their spirit, their heart, just the inside, the invisible part. My mom is right here, and I know what my mom looks like, but even if she was horribly disfigured in some crazy accident, I would still know my mom because I know the invisible part of who she is. We have a real relationship. Even though I've never, ever, ever seen her heart or her spirit with my eyeballs, I still know it, okay? Now, imagine a a blind date if we literally meant, I want to get to know who you are on the inside. Very creepy. It's like it involves surgery and all kinds of doctor stuff. You ever watch those surgeries on the Science Channel? Where it's like, they, ugh, it's fascinating but disgusting all at the same time. Getting to know someone means that you, you learn what they want. What, they, what their will is. Um, what makes a person? That's what makes a person a person. Robots don't have a will. Did you know that? No matter how many movies make that same plot line, robots are not people yet, and they won't ever be. I don't think, because there a will comes from the invisible part of a person called the heart or the spirit, and science can't create that. But we learn in the Bible that God is spirit. God is invisible. God is a person. And God has a will. So the question for you guys this morning, for our introduction, is do you know God? Do you know his will? Do you know what he's like, what he likes, and what he wants from you? Knowing God's will. Do you know God's will? Maybe in some things you're like, yes, I absolutely know God's will is to love my wife. Love my kid. Great. That, that is definitely God's will. And maybe you're, you're wondering about other things. Maybe is it God's will that I go plant a church, that I get involved in this ministry, that I do this? Maybe you're wondering what God's will is. And then some of us don't even care about God's will. I don't care what God's will is because my will matters. I've grown up where it's what I want all the time. And I am certainly not going to surrender to some invisible being and what he wants when it's all about me and my Barbie car. God is actually not trying to make this difficult for us. He literally became a man so that we could see him, 
his actions. We could hear his words. And, and even before that, God was always communicating with his people his will. He wanted people to know his will. He wants to reveal himself to his people. And that's what we're going to talk about today. In John 15, 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all the things I heard from my father, I have made known to you. And today we're going to learn about one of the amazing ways that God would, would speak to his people, and that's the Urim and the Thummim. Okay, so we get to chapter uh, 28 of Exodus, verse 30. We did the whole chapter last week, but we're just going to focus on this one verse today. And it says, you shall put in the breastplate of judgment, the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart that when he goes, when he goes in before the Lord, so Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel over his heart before the Lord continuously. Okay. So we have been learning about the clothes of the high priest and um, all of the clothes, the turban, the, the plate on the turban, the, the, the ephod and the, the robe and all these different things we learned last week, they all uh, represent and point to characters, characteristics of who? Jesus. Right, Jesus is the great high priest, and so every single part of these clothes, they point us to him and a part of his character, a part of his personality. And here we get to one part of it that we skipped last week called the Urim and the Thummim. And the and, uh, first thing we see here is that they were not made. Everything else, God gave Moses instruction on how to make them. But these two things, God never tells Moses to make them. He just says, put them in this bag on the front of the chest of the high priest. We're not told where they came from. God has chosen not to tell us exactly what they are. Never in the Bible do we find out what these are. So how are we going to spend an entire sermon talking about them when we don't even know what they are? Good question. <laughs> I'm not going to try to figure out what these things are. A lot of people think they were maybe two rocks, like a white rock and a black rock. Some people think they were magic, glowing, mystical things. I don't care because that's not the point. God didn't tell us because it's not important. That's not the important part. That we don't know how they worked. We don't know what they were. Nobody knows. So we're not going to spend our time trying to figure out things that God has chosen not to reveal. Again, so why are we going to study them? Because there is something amazing here. We do have their names, and their names are amazing, Urim and Thummim. And you're, go you're never going to forget these names. If I do my job today, you're going to learn what Urim and Thummim mean, and you're going to remember it, and you're never, ever, ever going to forget it, and it's going to bless you, I hope. It's going to be something that you have close to your heart that's going to remind you of God's love for you. So uh, the, there are some scriptures, there's actually seven scriptures that, that, teach, that show kind of how these things were used. And if we were to survey all the scriptures I did this week, they were kind of used like dice, okay? Kind of like two dice. And, and they would maybe reach their hand in this, this and, and ask God a question, God, do you want me to get a haircut? And they'd pull out the one and he would say, yes or no. And so it was to kind of help the people determine God's will. And it wasn't about small things like haircuts. It was about big, major, 
national decisions. The king would go and consult the ephod. David would do this a few times. A bunch of the different kings would do this. And they would ask God, what is your will? What do you want me to do? So what do these two Hebrew words mean? Well, first thing we see is that both of these words in Hebrew are plural. Do you see this? That if, if a word ends in I am, like cherubim, you ever heard that word? That means angels. I am is a plural in Hebrew. So urim and thumim are both plural. But what's funny is that in Hebrew, plural doesn't always mean plural. Plural can just mean important. It's called like the royal we or the uh, plural of significance, which just means that uh, these words are, are talking about individual things, but they're very important things. And so they use in the language the plural of it. So um, Urim means lights. Uh, other translations that we see in the Bible is revelation or truth. When you shine a light on something, you see what it is. And that's what that word means, lights. And Thummim means perfections, lights, and then perfections. Other ways that it's translated thumim is integrity, wholeness, completeness, or this phrase, in full measure, or complete, perfect. That's the idea of the word thumim. So you put them together and you get these kind of, this kind of idea, perfect light, or complete truth, or revealed in full measure. Do you guys see how those words came from the two, the two things there? And in the Septuagint, this is kind of the, the real heavy scholarly look at it. In the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, they were translated as delosis and alethium, which mean manifestation and truth. Again, revealing truth, complete revelation. So, the, so if I were to translate their names into English, I would translate these as the everything you need to know. This is the everything you need to know rocks or whatever. Um, perfect light. It's complete truth revealed in full measure. And in the rest of the Bible, again, we see these uh, Urim and Thummim mentioned seven times. And what do we learn? We learn that these were for the people to discover the will of God. Whenever the people needed to know what God's will was, they would look at these and they would receive perfect light or complete truth, or it would be revealed in full measure. There would be no confusion, no mystery. It would be plain and easy to know God is not trying to make this difficult on the people. And then our text tells us where these were kept. Did you see it? They were kept in a bag. It says, by the heart of the high priest. So they were placed in the, it was called the breastplate of the high priest, close to his heart. And again, who does this high priest foreshadow? Jesus. This means that these, this Urim and Thummim, this perfect light, speaks first of what is in the heart of Jesus. Jesus is full of light. That's pretty easy, right? And perfections. He is full of those things. He's full of it. Jesus, this is who Jesus is in his heart, and God is wanting to reveal it to his people. This is who Je uh, If you want to know the great high priest, your great high priest, and you want to 
hear his words and, and understand who he really is on the inside, this is what you will find, light and perfection. That's what you will discover about your high priest. In Colossians 2.3, it says that in Jesus is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Isn't that cool? In Jesus, we find all the treasures that we will ever need or ever want, and it's only in Jesus. There's no need to seek it from other sources. You simply won't find the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in universities, in Wikipedia, in the internet, in a library, in the hospital, in your therapy sessions. It is not there. Those things cannot deliver all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge because they're hidden in Christ. And just like you have to go into a library to be able to see the treasures that are in the library, all the books, you have to go in Christ to discover the treasures that are in him. You have to enter his very heart by faith. Only Jesus claims to actually have it and he actually delivers it. So the Urim and the Thummim, light and perfection, wisdom and knowledge is another way to say those two things, is, the, is only in the heart of our great high priest, Jesus. But we can also look at each of these words separately and see that it speaks about Jesus as well. If you guys could turn with me to the book of John, chapter 1, we're going to see some really cool uh, connections here. So the first word is light, the Urim, right? The Urim, light. So Jesus is obviously the light. You guys have heard this before, right? Light of the world, you said, right? Jesus is obviously the light. He's, he's revealing. He's the source of all light, which is a connection with truth. He, when he shines light on something, he sees how it really is. He shows how it really is. Well, in John chapter 1, look at verse 5 and verse 9. It says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And this is talking about Jesus coming to the earth. He was the light. And then in verse 9, that was, the, that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. So Jesus is obviously the Urim. And when we read about the Urim, it's foreshadowing Jesus. We're, we're making these connections in a simple way right now because of some things we're going to see in a little bit. Secondly, perfection. Jesus is actually perfect. He's sinless. So he's right all the time. He's the source of all rightness. Look at verse 14. John 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This verse helps us to understand even more about God's will what God wants. Just like um, we are looking, it's, it's just like you and I are digging our hands into the bag and pulling out Urim and Thummim to learn God's will. When we look unto Christ, we dig into his heart, we are going to find God's will and God's heart revealed to us, his light and his perfection. We've already seen 
that when we look at these words that Jesus is perfect light, and, and then we've seen that he is perfect and he is light, two separate things. And now we're going to see this real simply that Jesus gives Urim and Thummim to you. He gives it to us. Look, look at verse 14 again. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then skip down one verse to verse 16. It says, and of his fullness, what's he full of? Truth and grace and truth. Okay, Of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace or grace upon grace upon grace. Jesus, it says, is filled with grace and truth, perfection and light, urim and thummim. He, he, sir, excuse me. Here we see that God gives truth to us like light. That's the urim. He gives us truth. He's full of truth, and of his fullness we have all received grace. So his grace gives us truth righteousness and he gives grace to provide the perfection for us so that's the thummim not only does he give light and shine light onto your life and say that's not right but i'm going to transform you and give you grace so that you can be instead of a sinner perfect in god's sight he gives you perfection. What a great deal. What a wonderful Lord. This is what we receive from God. Not only does he have them in his heart, this light and this perfection, but he says, I want to give it to you. I want you to have light in your life, truth, and I want you to partake of my perfection, and I want to place it in you, and, I want, and I'm going to make you fully able to receive all that you need from me. We're able to receive it. He's able to provide it, and we are able to receive it. This transfer of light and, and perfection or grace and truth can be accomplished in our lives. We can have all that we need through the grace of Jesus, and it never runs out. It's never not enough. It's a complete supply for completely unworthy people. That's what it is. It's a new covenant bought with the blood of Christ. He says, you get to have Urim and Thummim just like I used to be the only one. The high priest was the only one that had this in his heart. But now I am offering it to you at a discounted price of free. It was very expensive for him to purchase this, but for you and I, it is totally and completely free. When a person works an eight-hour day, they receive a, a fair day's pay for their time, right? When a person competes as an opponent or a, in a race, they receive a trophy for their performance. This is called a prize. The first is called wages. When a person receives the appropriate recognition for his long service or high achievements, that would be an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, 
can win no prize and deserves no award, yet receives such things anyway, this is a good picture of God's grace. It's what we mean when we talk about the grace of God, unearned wages, unearned favor, unearned awards, unearned. We cannot earn them. We have to believe. We have to enter by faith. Jesus is, it says, is full of this kind of grace. He says we receive of his fullness grace upon grace upon grace, which means he never runs out when I draw upon his grace over and over and over again. In fact, the Bible says he delights in, keep, in, in keeping giving. That was so not proper English. He delights to keep giving grace upon grace. And he will never tire of supplying our need of grace. But so many Christians, after they've been a Christian for a while, think that grace is something that they grow out of. Oh, I used to have to depend on the Lord for forgiveness and for good works and for serving him, but I've been walking with the Lord seven days now. And I have this all figured out. If I just try my best, I can do it. And I'm just naturally that good. And all of us laugh because we know we're just as corrupted as the day we were saved, right? Our flesh couldn't provide any for anything for us back then when we were doing things that were horrible. Now we've been saved years and years and years. And we're kind of depressed to think that we can't do anything better by trying harder. But that's what the Bible says. In Galatians 3, it says, Why are you so foolish? If you didn't get saved by doing good things, why do you think you can be sanctified or changed by doing good things? That doesn't, our efforts do not transform us. Only God's grace does. He trains us to keep asking over and over and over for the invisible will of God to be accomplished in our life, the Urim and the Thummim, light and perfection to be accomplished in our life. We can't, we can't supply these things ourselves. Who could bring light to their own heart? We can't. Who can bring perfection, real, honest, genuine perfection? Who can transform themselves to be perfect? We can't. But Jesus says, that's what I do, and I don't, don't ever get tired of it. I, of his fullness, we've all received grace for grace, which means grace today, and then tomorrow you're going to screw up again, and I'm going to have grace to forgive you and transform you tomorrow. And then the next day, you're not going to be any better, and I'm going to forgive you and transform you again that day. And then we'll start to see good works happening in our lives, but this is what we're going to be keenly aware of. I did nothing to produce this. We'll say, Jesus did this in me. I would not have been this good or this loving or this selfless because I understand in me dwells no good thing. Isn't that amazing? God's grace is continual and it's a constant provision for us to be transformed. Our job is to stay in that place of 
confessing our need to the Lord, saying, I need what's in your heart, the Urim and the Thummim, I need that in my life. But what happens is we get lazy, we get calloused, and we stop asking the Lord. And what happens after a little bit of time when we're not walking in the Spirit? We screw up big time. We mess up. And then we repent and we come back into God's presence by his spirit and we understand God forgives us. God is working, but he's training us. Stop trying to do this on your own. Follow me. Walk with me. Trust in me. Believe in my sufficiency. If you ask me for the Urim and the Thummim, for light and perfection, what is Jesus' response going to be? Well, if you tithe 10%, maybe we'll talk. Well, uh, let's see how you do today. And then we'll see if I'm going to give it to you. No, the Bible says our Father gives the Holy Spirit, Urim and Thummim, to anyone who asks. Just the act of asking with that humble, broken heart that, that, that senses its need, God says that's all I'm asking for. Ask me. Ask me. So many times, church can just become a thing where we go and we hear and we leave. Oh, how did that really apply to my life? I don't care. Or our relationship with God can get just calloused and sad and, and, and hard in our hearts. And God is saying, I will dig. And it will hurt. So please, open yourself up to me. Ask me to fill you because I want to plant my word in your heart and see what happens. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, God, It is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You ever, you ever hear that saying that we tell our teenage kids, you become like your friends, right? Who you hang out with, you become like them. Well, when we start to know God's will, God is working in our minds and in our hearts to produce his will in our lives. And this work is called the work of grace. It's definitely not, grace is not just boys will be boys, let them keep sinning and we'll just forgive everybody. Just keep sinning. No, it's God working his will into our lives so that all of a sudden we just want to do his will. The, 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 the shine of the shininess and attraction of sinful living loses its appeal to us because of God's work in our heart. I really don't want people to try to stop sinning to please God. I want to stop that way of thinking. I want people to stop sinning because they consider God better. A relationship with God is, is more dear to them than the thing that they used to turn to. And that is a, is a real walking in the Spirit experience instead of, man, I've got I, I to gotta turn away from all these sins because I know they make God mad and I don't want to make God mad. It's, it's working, God says, by his grace, he works in our, in our hearts from the inside out 
uh, to do what he wants us to do, to become like him. He changes our nature from self-serving to selfless, God-serving. That's how he does it. Now we're going to read one more scripture here and then we'll be done. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, uh, verse 21. We're just going to read this scripture and we're going to see kind of how it, it takes all of these themes and wraps them up in a big bow for us. Look what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were at eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the, fa- the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What did the father see in Jesus when he ripped open the sky and said, this is my beloved son? The father saw perfection. Jesus was the perfect man. He did everything right, and the Father declared it openly. If you do everything right, God would rip open the sky and say the same thing about you. Oh, you're just so wonderful. I just, I honor you. I, I, you're just so great. God loves to pour out praise upon perfection. And he did with Jesus. So we see the Father is telling us, look, he is the thumum. The perfection. We see it right there. Then it says, it goes on, it says, And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word confirmed, and you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Wow. There we see lights. Right? The Urim. The other part of God's character, shining light, and Peter tells us this comes from Jesus and it's implanted into us, he says. So heed it. Listen to, like, pay attention to the character of Jesus, his light, his Urim. And then he goes on, check this out. And he says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of, is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as it were moved by the Holy Spirit. So what do we see in those verses? We see God's will being revealed, being made known to us through Jesus. He says, through the scriptures. The scriptures help us to know Jesus, which helps us to know God's will, but it's only spiritually discerned. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're not saved and born again, you hear Bible studies like this, and you hear the word of God, and you're like, I don't get it. Yeah, you can't until God has made you alive by his spirit. So the whole point of the Urim and the Thummim is Jesus. And you're like, you talk about Jesus every week. Yes. They show, <laughs> they show us this Urim and Thummim, the character of Jesus, and they foreshadow the way Jesus would transform us through the new covenant that he would bring into the world. They show men the will of God. 
If you just want to know what the will of God is for a man to look like, it's Jesus. How do we know? Well, God flipping ripped open the sky and told us this is what man is supposed to look like. Jesus. Twice he did this when he was baptized and on the mountain. So that's perfection. But then God further reveals his will to show us it's for you. I am offering you the light and the perfection that was in Jesus. So what is God's will for every person? Number one, that you know the perfect light of his son, Jesus. What truth is. And number two, that you receive the grace and truth of his son, Jesus. That is God's will. Now you know. Everything else kind of doesn't really matter. It is Jesus. Do you know the heart of Jesus, your high priest? Have you dug your hands in by faith and rummaged around in the Urim and the Thummim and pulled out some treasure of Jesus? Or are you kind of hands off? I don't, uh, Jesus, I go to church and I have a Bible on my phone. And I've even listened to it a couple times. I've read it a little bit. I, I identify myself as a Christian, but you're not going to find me digging in to Jesus. You won't. Because I'm too busy with my own will. I don't really care what his will is. I get that way when I'm walking in my flesh. I get that way. Do you really get his holy perfection? Do you know the Thummim? Do you know his perfections? Do you see things according to his light, the Urim? Do you, when you want to know what is right and real in this world, where do you turn? The perfect light is only known in the heart. Merely understanding in the brain that Jesus is perfect light doesn't do anything but produce hypocritical religious rule followers that are more interested in choosing teams than loving their enemy. More concerned with being right as opposed to being liked. Copyright that one. It produces people who are closed up and restricted, self-absorbed and distant, individual and self-sufficient, missing the joy and power of God by 18 inches. What I'm saying here is the Urim and the Thummim wasn't in his hat. They weren't. The power and love of God is not in the hat. The hat had a different thing. Does anyone remember what was written on the hat? Anyone? Holiness to the Lord. 32 Jesus points. Good job. No, the mind for the high priest just needed to be surrendered to his will. When there was a surrender, then the heart is where the light and the perfection emerged from. This is how it works in our life. When we are just, in the, just Christians in the brain, yeah, I agree with everything in the Bible, but we know we're not walking in the light. We know if we were to shine light in our heart, there would be no perfection. No holiness. Man, that is not what God is seeking for in this world. 
He's looking for people who have the heart of Christ, not the brain of Christ, the heart of Christ. We need to go further. We must go further than just knowing about Jesus in our head. And we need to dive deep into the deep end where we cannot stand on any ground at all. Just picture yourself diving into the, one of those deep swim pools where you just you can't get to the bottom. We have to go where there's nothing to depend on except Jesus. And our mind is actually going to resist every step of the way. Have you seen one of those people on the edge of a diving board like so petrified they will not move? And then their brother comes along and pushes them in. (laughs) That's me today. Our mind resists every step of the way, but the heart cannot receive the life and grace of God in any other way. You have to dive all in. You have to say, I have no other choice. I cannot hold on to the side. I have to be fully surrendered to your will. And if it's your will that I drowned and die, I'm cool with it because it's your will. And it's not my will, but your will be done. Obviously, this is symbolic. Please don't dive into this. <laughs> and I fear that some of us are missing out on the restful and growing life that Jesus has promised us. Because we think it either has to be earned, so we strive for, or we're striving for it. We, we think it's not that simple, so we're searching in other places for it. While all the time God has provided you with both light and perfections, grace and truth for your every need to be met and every desire to be abundantly fulfilled through the one and only life of his son, Jesus. And we miss out on it. Our response to God's provision of Jesus is very simple. And we talk about it all the time, and we're going to talk about it again. Humility and faith. We must humbly confess our need for the risen life of Jesus. And then, with faith, we simply ask him for it. We ask him for his grace. We ask him for his risen life. That is the whole life of a Christian summed up in two words, humility and faith. And and that's why we're called white flag Calvary, because the one word of surrender, in my mind, combines the idea of humility and faith together. When you're surrendering in war, you have to have humility saying, okay, I lose, I suck. And then you have to have faith that the person is not going to kill you. That they are going to give you grace. That's what surrender is. It's an attitude in the heart of humility and faith. And that's why we're called what we're called. That's why we do what we do. So, we're done with our Bible study, but we're going to pray. And I want us to pray with a, uh, a position of humble faith. And so for me, um, and I just would like you to join me, just put your hands out like this, like you're receiving a Thanksgiving pie, which is like the best segue I've ever done. Just put, put your hands out like this, okay? 
And this is a physical, I don't ask you to do very many uncomfortable physical things, but today we're gonna, I'm going to get all weird on you, and we're just going to put our hands out like this. And I'm just going to pray. And, and just in this position of humility and faith, we're going to ask the Lord, our Father in heaven, your light shines perfectly through the one and only source of Jesus. You created light through Jesus. You are the light of the world. And you shine in the darkness of our hearts through Jesus' Spirit. Our hearts have learned through years to cling to anything that seems to offer security, relief, or dependability. And these idols have consumed our lives, left us empty and disappointed. Please transform us today. Give us your grace. Give us the very life of Jesus, the resurrected King of the world, that is sufficient to forgive us and change us and empower us to be the light of the world in our world today. We could never produce any of this on our own. We need you to do it all, and we ask you to do it today. 